What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of The Libertarian Perspective. I am your host, Chris Sost. And today I wanted to talk about an article that came across Reuters back on January 5th. Um, obviously, it is a few days ago, but hey, we're going to keep talking about it. Name of the article is Hawkish Fed Signals It May Have it to Raise Rates Sooner to Fight Inflation. Now, I like talking about things like inflation and things of that nature primarily because the vast majority of society was never taught anything about inflation at all. And it goes back to a previous podcast episode where I talked about our, our education system does not, in fact, teach kids financial literacy. So how the hell we expect people to understand uh, the textbook definition of inflation and, and economic terms and theories, how we expect them to understand or know those things is crazy, which means these people are walking around highly uneducated on economics, and then they're listening to people on television or the radio or the internet for that matter, including myself. I'll throw myself under the bus every chance I get. As if those people are, are Webster's Dictionary themselves. So in this article, it reverts back to the meeting of the, the Federal Reserve chairmans back in December uh, the 14th and the 15th. And, you know, where they were all talking about, you know, ways that they can combat uh, the price inflation that consumers are experiencing, but more so curbing uh, the, the housing market and, and really just cooling off sectors of the economy that are overheating. And to the average person, if you're a home builder um, or if you're selling your home, you probably don't like this news, but I can promise you worse news will come about if it goes left unchecked. Um, just think of like 2007, 2008, but you'll be way more underwater because housing prices, let me tell you something, you know something is wrong with the housing market when houses are selling for 10 to 30,000 over asking. Like either, either homeowners are not properly, or for that matter, uh, what are the home value assessors, the adjusters, whatever those people are called, the, the survey people that come out and give your home a value, either they're not doing their job correctly or the homeowner is not doing their job and pricing their home correctly, or there's an excess of liquidity in the market that's spurring people to spend or take on debt more so than they would in normal conditions. Um, so I always like to start off most episodes with the definitions of what we're talking about um, because I believe that the worst part of, de of a debate really boils down to a lack of having a uniform definition of what we're talking about. Uh, so, you know, people have different perceptions of what inflation is. Let's just go right here. Classic de definition. Inflation is the decline of purchasing power of a given currency over time. A quantitative estimate of the rate at which the decline in purchasing power occurs can be reflected in the increase of an average price level of a basket of selected goods and services in an economy over some period of time. The rise in the general level of prices often expressed as a percentage, 
means that a unit of currency effectively buys less than it did in prior periods. So that's what inflation is. And you, you might be asking yourself, well, why are we experiencing inflation now? A lot of people like to say, let's go, Brandon, or thank you, uh, thank you, Brandon, or thank you, Biden. But for those that are somewhat economically in the know, you know that inflation is a lagging indicator. As in, it shows up after the fact. It's not like the government turns around and prints $2 trillion and boom, inflation hits the consumer market right away. That is just completely ignorant of economics in general. So I will like to go back and I pulled up the St. Louis Fed's uh, chart when it comes to uh, M2, which is the money supply. Now, it is worth noting that we have always increased the money supply, as we should. So as somebody that used to be really hardcore, like Austrian economics, I used to think that increasing the money supply in general was a bad idea. However, I'm going to give you an example on a much smaller scale where it might make a whole lot more sense. So we have a country called XYZ Nation. An XYZ nation has 10 people in it. I know, it's a small-ass country. But anyways, so the central bank for XYZ nation turns around and creates 100 $1 bills. So not, not that every single person in the country has 10 $1 bills, but there are 100 $1 bills in circulation, and there are 10 people there. So why it's important for the Federal Reserve to actually increase the money supply is let's just see a XYZ nation turns around and adds two people to its population. So now instead of 10 people, there are now 12, and there are still only 100 $1 bills in circulation. That technically creates a deflationary uh, reaction as in prices will decrease because the value or purchasing power of the dollar has increased because there are a finite amount of dollars and we have increased the amount of people using dollars. Therefore, each dollar is worth more in purchasing terms than before. If we look at the exact opposite happening, which is what has happened for the vast majority of U.S. history, um, but in particular happened between March, let me get here, March 2nd, uh, 2020, and July 13th, 2020, is we had a massive increase in the money supply without there being a massive increase in the population. So imagine XYZ Nation has 10 people, and there are 100 $1 bills in circulation, and because of a viral infection or an outbreak, the XYZ nation shuts down the country. All 10 people can't go to work or maybe one person could go to work or what have you. And in order to combat that, the central bank turns around and creates 500 new $1 bills, which I'm not saying to scale, that's what this is, but they did increase the money supply alone between March 2nd, 2020, and July 13th, I mean, actually, you can probably can go back further, but let's just say July 13th, 
they increased the money supply alone by $3 trillion. In four months, they almost increased the money supply $1 trillion a month. Meanwhile, we were actually losing, like people were dying. So there's a natural and predictable consequence to creating excess liquidity in the market. Now, as, as somebody who was very much into Austrian economics, I used to think that this was like catastrophic, but to the Keynesian's point, there is a correct way in increasing the money supply temporarily, and the Fed can turn around and use certain metrics um, or tools to turn around and rein in the money supply. The biggest way for the Federal Reserve to rein in excess liquidity is to increase the federal funds rate, which is the rate at which banks borrow money, which is technically the rate at which banks use to create an interest rate for the consumer. So, and, and this is just one aspect of what they did during this time period. So you had $3 trillion just in money supply increase. Then you also had, where is it? They had, they, there's a really good number. Here it is, boom. The Federal Reserve in 2020 also, and 2021, as of today, they have about $8.8 trillion on its balance sheet. Now these are assets, by the way. Now, one of the things that the Federal Reserve did back in 2020 to keep the economy from falling off the cliff in addition to inflating the money supply and creating an excess in liquidity in you know, the credit markets and the money markets and everywhere else in the economy, is they also went on a buying spree. So they actually purchased equities. I believe I read an article not that long ago. It might've been the first time or it might've been the second time in the history of the Fed that they actually bought equities. So they actually bought options or stock or positions in major US companies. Now me, fundamentally, I am totally against this, but more importantly, I'm totally against shutting down the entire fucking economy in the first place. However, to even remotely suggest that somehow the inflation that we're feeling today is solely on the back of Joe Biden and his administration would be totally ignorant of reality, economic realities. It would just be ignorant. At that point, you're just looking to start a fight. Um, because, and this is one thing that I really wish Donald Trump would have done or wish I wish he would do. So if Donald Trump happens to listen to this episode, which I don't ever expect him to, I would implore you, sir, get on television, get in front of a camera and say, look, guys, even though I feel as though some of my policies I would have enacted would have combated inflation better, this ugly fucking demon that we're looking at right now, we would have looked at him regardless. You know, we created six, nine trillion dollars last year. Between 2020 and 2021, we created an up upwards over six trillion dollars. We, we don't get to escape the economic consequences of doing so. We don't. We don't get to, you just, you can't escape it. Now, the other side of the coin is, is, well, what was our other option, right? And in, in that instance, I would say, I don't know. So that's why I'm gonna give both Donald Trump and Joe Biden a pass on inflation. And the reason why is because we don't quite know how things would have shaken out 
if it weren't for the increase uh, in liquidity that was created. By the way, we did this before. <laughs> I hate to say it, but on a smaller scale, back during the Great Recession. And back then, this was a revolutionary move. I think it was like the first time ever that the Fed took such uh, insane uh, action to essentially stop the dominoes from falling. Um, now, I am a proponent of allowing all businesses to fail on their own merits. So if a company over leverages itself and then gets caught, you know, gets caught holding the basket, that's on them. But in terms of, you know, a global pandemic, that's not on the businesses. It wasn't the businesses' decisions to shut down the economy. So I can't really fault, you know, Walmart or, you know, some of these other bigger institutions who, who took out massive amounts of loans at literally almost 0% interest. I, I can't blame them. You know what I mean? Because they, it, it's, it's not like they made bad investments. So back in 2008, which is completely different, you had a whole bunch of banks that got way over leveraged and they over leveraged themselves in a, in a, in a, in a race to, to extract as much money as they could out of the situation that was, you know, a booming everything market. But I also believe that those that over leveraged themselves back then should have carried that over leveragedness right into bankruptcy court and fucking liquidated and allowed new companies or other companies who were, didn't over leverage themselves to buy up your assets at pennies on the dollar and actually, <laughs> I hate saying this, but build back better. Um, completely unrelated from, uh, from, from the way uh, progressives use build back better today, we could have actually have built back better if we allowed bad businesses that made bad investments fail. Let them fail, let them go through bankruptcy, let them purge their debts, let other companies buy up their assets for pennies on the dollar. And as, as a whole, the economy would have been in a lot better of place long-term. However, it would have been extremely painful for the average consumer to go through, which is why there's actually such an, uh, an appeal for Keynesian economic theory, which is it's really focused on the consumer's feelings, not necessarily on, let's just say, you know, the fundamental uh, basics of economics, but how do we make this next bust or contraction in the, in the economy, how do we make it much more palatable uh, for the average everyday consumer? Which, you know, it's a noble cause, but is it actually helping? I'll leave that up to you to decide. But I, I think it's just, it's really important to understand that the reason why we feel inflated consumer prices is number one, we inflated the money supply. Uh, number two, we injected a shitload of money into the economy, not just into businesses. We gave people a massive amount of money in a very short period of time, relatively speaking. And it just created the perfect storm of, of, a, of a snowballing, uh, hill, if you will. Like you, you look at it, right? And you go, well, is it really the worst thing? It wasn't the worst thing, right? However, this is what happens. And this is why I'm, I'm not actually against inflation because this might actually create positive change all around. I am huge into technology. I love technology. Technology will replace the vast majority of 
traditional jobs that people have now. People will have different jobs in the future that hasn't even been thought of yet. And everything will continue to work. But there was a lot of businesses, in particular small businesses, uh, in, the, in the food and retail space uh, that tried to come back when the economy opened back up. They tried to come back the same way they walked into it, which is we're going to pay people what we feel is the right amount of money at $8, $9, $10 an hour. But what happened, and surprisingly so, and this, and this is actually one of the possible good things that came out of keeping people home, is the amount of people that were in shithole jobs. And, 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 and there's, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just, it's a shithole job that nobody wants to do. Nobody wants to stand at McDonald's and take somebody's order. Nobody wants to stand over a fryer and fry fucking fries. Like you do that because you need to pay bills. Um, like that's, that's not the type of job where you're like, oh, this is what I do. Like you're, you're not showing off, you know, what you fucking do in a given day while working at a retail store. Just not something that you, you genuinely do because it's not a, not a newsworthy job to do. However, what a lot of people did, and, I, and this actually makes me happy, um, it actually gives me an extreme amount of hope in general, is we had a bunch of people that had shithole jobs take the lockdown time and they, they took the excess in money and they invested in themselves. They, they took online courses. They gained certain certificates. They did a whole lot of things that once the economy truly opened back up, they were able to go and get jobs at better places for more money because they gained more skills. So it really left these undesirable jobs like, you know, fry cook or, or, or waitress or, or, you know, retail associate. It left these companies in a very, very tight position because these companies would have loved nothing more than to just go back to business as normal. However, the economy changed. More importantly, the workforce changed. And now businesses are having to catch up to the workforce, which ironically enough, I have, I just, again, I happen to love it. I love watching big traditional businesses uh, squirrel around. And that's what they're doing right now. That's why you see McDonald's hiring at 15, 17, $20 an hour. It's because a whole bunch of people actually took advantage of being home for three, six, and eight months or a year on, on the federal dollar and actually put themselves in a better position. So yes, you know what? You want somebody to fry those fries? No problem. You're going to have to pay what Apple, at least what Apple is paying people to stay home and be a, a tech, which ironically enough, have you guys looked? You can legit work from home for Apple as a tech support person for like $18 an hour. Why the fuck am I going to go to work at McDonald's and, and listen to somebody bitch about how their fries aren't the way they like them or that their burger ain't the way they like it or something? When I could legit sit from home and talk to people about their broken Apple devices or help them fix their, their Apple devices. The fuck out of here. At least when I'm on the phone, right, and somebody's berating me, it's completely different than Karen acting like Karen in my face, where I literally feel the urge to punch her right in the dick. Figuratively speaking, of course. 
So when it comes to inflation, it's, it's, it's obviously bad as a consumer. And here's the other thing that I wanna talk about because people get this shit confused when it comes to inflation and gas prices. Guys, gas prices is about as pure as you can get when it comes to supply and demand. There is a hint, a sprinkle, a smidgen, if you will, of speculatorism in it. So yes, does a president having a certain stance towards fossil fuels move the market? Yes, but only temporarily. What really moves the market is the rate at which people demand gas. So shockingly enough, we're, we're trying to go back to normal, which means what happened? The demand returned versus when we were in the, the pandemic, when two thirds of the country was staying at home and not commuting to work, it plunged the demand, which what happens? Well, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm an oil producer, number one, I'm gonna cut back the amount I produce, but number two, even if I can't cut that back enough, I'm gonna lower the price of my product to get it out the fucking door. Well, now, guess what's happening? There's a shitload of people trying to go everywhere. And see, this is what I try to do. I try to find the good in everything. Like, yeah, paying higher prices for gas sucks. But the flip side is, is there's more people than ever getting out and going around. They're, they're socializing, they're networking, they're interacting, they're fucking getting their lives back. Fuck me, man. I, don't, I can't see how that's not a good thing. So yes, one of, the, one of the negatives comes back and says we pay $3 and whatever cents per gallon for gas. It sucks, but it is what it is. That, those prices I'm not massively concerned about. The other thing that I really wanna point out when people just blanket label inflation and why inflation is not necessarily tied directly to a product, but every step before then is because when you look at the price of something, when you buy something at Walmart, you are paying the end user price. But that price was starting to be baked way back at the point in which every single piece of raw material used to make that product is being created, uh, refined, uh, mined, or anything, creating the raw material. That's where prices start. And then every step of the way that new person's or that new player's expenses are baked into the price of an item. So that finally, once it gets to the consumer market, i.e. Walmart, Publix, or any of these other places, this is kind of like the final price of the product, but it's not Publix or Walmart just turn around and arbitrarily changing prices, right? So one of the things, if you've ever worked in a, a restaurant, in particular as a kitchen manager, the one thing you, would, you will have noticed back in say 2006, 2005, back when gas prices really hit through the fucking roof, is these distribution companies, the ones that actually bring the food from whatever center it's at to your restaurant, actually charges a surcharge fee for fuel. Anytime that gas prices go over a certain amount, why do they institute that fee? It's really simple. Their, their costs are increasing and they're gonna pass that cost increase off to their consumer, which in this instance is, let's just say a restaurant. Well, guess what? That restaurant owner only again, operating off of maybe 26% profit margin, they're not gonna eat that cost, they have to pass it on. 
So just everything gets passed on. Every, every expense gets baked into the cake. You know, nobody goes out and starts a business and then converts it to a nonprofit because they're just good people. Like there's no shot, right? That Walmart turns around and becomes a nonprofit. No shot. I, uh, we'll put it this way. Uh, not in my lifetime. But, but going back to how we fight inflation, one of the best ways to rein in the money supply is through interest rates. So we turn around and we raise them. And, you know, well, there's a lot of people, and I see it in the comment sections a lot, where it's like, oh, it's going to create hyperinflation. And I'm like, bro, you don't fucking understand how inflation works. And then you got other people being like, oh, it's going to crash the economy. Hey, jackass. They're only talking about raising the fucking interest rate 25 basis points. Let's fucking chill out here. That's literally 0.25%. It's not going to be the end of the world. Like these people are pretty fucking good when it comes to gauging interest rates. They're not perfect because they're human, but they're pretty fucking good. You know, we've been raising interest rates for the raising and lowering interest rates for, for fucking forever now. It's a necessary tool that we use on a macro level to keep the economy from doing huge swings. So you don't want the economy to, you know, overheat to the point of exhaustion at which point it crashes. You want to do things along the way when you go, all right, you know, this, this, this sector of the economy is getting real hot, but this economy, this part, sector of the economy is getting real hot. You know what? Let's turn around because we believe that the economy is healthy enough that we can do this. We'll push up interest rates 0.25%. Maybe a quarter or two later, we'll push it up another 0.25%. And it, it's just curbing. It's, it's instead of having like a straight up and then fucking free fall, you know, you kind of, you, once you see it going up, you kind of want, you want the curve to come along. You want it to, you want it to curve. You don't want it to fucking sky up and then fucking fall straight back down. You, you want, you want the, I, I don't, I don't know if the rest of you guys will understand this, but back in it, here in Florida, down in South Florida, this is a thing called the swap shop. Um, it's a fucking American staple for as long as, for as, as much as I care. Uh, and you know, one of my teachers growing up was like, you know, in terms of music, you want big dynamics. You want the big up and the big down um, to create kind of like a, an auto, an audio effect uh, to please the, the listener's ears. Anyways, he used to say, you know, what, you know, what we need is we need big dynamic changes. And right now you guys are giving me swaps, swap shop because they have this like little little roller coaster, if you will, at the swap shop. And by no means, it's not like a fixed roller coaster. It's legit like something you would see set up like at a carnival or a fucking like traveling uh, uh, circus, not circus, uh, fair. And <laughs> so so obviously it doesn't go way up. It doesn't go way down. It's just like, wee, wee, wee. So th that's kind of what the Federal Reserve is trying to make happen when it comes to the economy. We, you know, we want like little ups and downs. You know, despite popular uh, belief, we, we do not want just strictly, we don't want unstable prices. And what I mean by that is we don't wanna to go to the store one day and see the price of milk, $4, 
And then two weeks later we go in and it's $2. And then the next, you know, the next time we go in, it's $3. And the next time we go in, it's one fifty. And the next time we go in, it's five. That is absolutely terrible for consumers because number one, if consumers can't plan because we're consumers, right? Like we all have a budget. We all have uh, an income, which means we benefit most from consistent and stable pricing. So it is the job of the Federal Reserve. That is, honestly, I believe that is like their number one. I, I don't want to you know, necessarily spend time on this podcast uh, searching for like their mission or their vision statement, but I am 99% sure that price stabilization is like one of their principled pillars of the Federal Reserve. We, we all need stable prices in our lives. And, uh, you know, uh, what the Federal Reserve is doing right now and what they're going to continue to do, it's not going to necessarily bring prices down necessarily. What's going to bring prices down is going to be an unblocking or a (laughs) fixing of the current kinks in the supply chain. Again, we shut down the fucking economy, the world economy, for like three months. And then we injected trillions what did the, what did the world invest to get out of the pandemic like the world collectively essentially created 26 or 20 some odd trillion dollars guys that's going to co- that right that increase in liquidity is going to cause a massive spike in demand because that's actually what it's intended to do um so a good for instance that we all live through So one of the things that happened in 2008 that was detrimental was the credit markets froze. And you base the health of your economy off of the speed at which money moves, at the rate at which money moves. The faster the money is moving in your economy, the better. So when a credit market freezes, all fucking hell breaks loose. Businesses can't borrow, people can't borrow, and fuck all, it sends everybody into the banks then you'll try to cause a fucking run on the banks. And it's just, it's just a snowball to hell effect uh, that you just don't want to happen. Well, once there's an, an excess of liquidity in the market, you need to slowly start to pull it out. And when you, once you start to slowly pull it out, people, investors, consumers, businesses equalize. They, they, start, they start becoming more rational. But let me ask you this, just you know, because we, we like to, we like to shit on rich people and we like to shit on corporations. But if, if I were to come to you as a, as just, as just a regular person uh, with a, with a family of uh, of four, you know, you, your wife and two kids. And I were to tell you that I'll give you a 0% loan of $4 million and you get 30 years to pay that back. Are you not going to take that money? Like it's no strings attached. I would in a fucking heartbeat. You're going to give me a 0% loan? Are you kidding me? My iPhone, I haven't paid interest on a phone loan in years. Like you literally get a, a, pay, a, a phone, a $1,000 phone at 0%. Why the hell am I going to go to Verizon and give Verizon $1,000 of my money up front for an iPhone when I can use $1,000 of Verizon's money for free over the life of the loan. So what is it, 30 months now, 24 months? 
whatever it happens to be, um, of course you're going to use the, the free money. Everybody will. That's what the excess liquidity is all about. That's what they did. They were like, hey, businesses, take out loans. We'll also fucking buy assets or equities in certain companies. So we need to unwind that. So you become very irrational once there's 0% in play. Again, if you can get 0% on a car, right? Why the fuck are you going to pay $30,000 upfront in cash for a car when you can get 0% interest for five years? Or six years for that matter. Like it doesn't, like it doesn't make any sense. I can take that 30,000 in cash that I would have spent on the car upfront. I can put it in something that's going to make me money. And then I can just make the loan payments. You see what I mean? So, so that is acting rational in a very irrational situation. So what the federal reserve is trying to do is create a rational and stable pulling of the excess liquidity out of the market. Now are they going to pull all three or $6 trillion out of the market? Absolutely not. That's insane. Again, we have a fluctuating and generally always increasing population. Therefore you can't go back to a predetermined amount of money supply. Like as a, as a fixed number, you can have a formula and say, based off of population times this divided by this equals what the money supply should be. But you can't be like, you know, we're going to go back to the, the same uh, money supply level that we had back in 1997 when the population was only 298 million. It's like, what? Can't do that. That shit don't make no sense. So and that's why if you go and you look at any federal, uh, federal Reserve M2 sheet, it's always going to be going up. There are certain periods where you know, maybe the money supply dipped slightly, but it always came back up. It's it, just like the stock market, the money supply chart is always going up. Yes, there's going to be dips. But generally speaking, once you look at it over time, the money supply should be increasing at a moderate rate that is in relation to your population. Um, again, because it's money supply. So you're talking about the purchasing power of a dollar. So what we're feeling is a combination of supply chain logistics issues, which drives up production costs and an excess in liquidity in the market, which creates irrational consumer and business behavior. Those are two, two things that definitely we should try our hardest to curb and get us back to reality. But I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a proponent of shitting on one administration over the other. There's tons of blame to go around all around. You know, I, I seen this article initially on Facebook. And, you know, a, a lot of the reoccurring theme besides let's go Brandon or, you know, something along the lines of it's Biden's fault is, guys, we started printing, we, we printed $6 trillion under a Republican president. We printed $6 trillion under a Republican president. So all of a sudden now all, all that is, is on Biden. Come on now. We, and, and this is where, this is why I've, I've, I've not been moved to join the Republicans 
or the Democrats. It's because neither side is willing to be honest. Like I wished, and I, I think I started off this podcast by saying, I wished Donald Trump would come out and take some responsibility for the inflation. Like you can pawn, you can, there's a way to politically spin it to where you're not the worst guy in the world. But come on, man, at least take some goddamn responsibility. Just like Joe Biden should be taking some of the damn responsibility of what inflation we're going to be feeling this year and in years into the future. Like, like the idea that policies don't matter, economically speaking, is just absurd. Like, oh, we'll just, we'll just tax the rich. That's the biggest sham fucking being sold to humanity right now. We'll just tax the, we'll tax the rich our way out of our, out of our problems. Get the fuck out of here. You could legit take every fucking dollar away from every billionaire in this country and still not pay off the the national debt. Nor do I think you could even fund the federal government off of 100% what you take from them. And then once you take 100%, that's it. It's not like they have more behind the, you know, behind another secret door. So I fundamentally, we need to become more honest in the conversations revolving economics and government policy. Because the free market or the market in general doesn't give a fuck whether you like what happens or not. It doesn't give a fuck about your feelings. Shit's going to happen. We print $3 trillion, we're going to get a devaluing of our currency. We're going to see a lowering of our purchasing power with our dollars. That's going to happen. No amount of progressive policy could ever stop that from happening. No amount of any policy by any person could stop that from happening. So as a country as a global economy, we need to fucking take this L, this pandemic L right on the chin. Stop fucking pointing fingers. Stop being like, let's go, Brandon. Stop being like, it's all Trump's fault. Blah, 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 blah. Fuck all that. Take the L on the chin. And you know what? Maybe let's get back to some fiscal sanity here for a second. Maybe actual. Like, hey, if you're living in a, in a, genuinely decent house, like a built in the last 10 years kind of house. Maybe you don't need to like move into a brand, brand new one. You know what I mean? Like maybe you don't have to, maybe you can just hang out for a little bit. Maybe you can just refinance your current house. Maybe possibly. I don't know. Like maybe, maybe we could just curb our, our, our credit usage. You know what I'm saying? Maybe put a little bit more money consistently into savings. Not a, not a huge, not a huge amount, just a little, you know, that was the other thing, you know, I, and this is going to be going off on a side tangent here about the pandemic, but our savings rate under the fucking pan, like during a pandemic has been incredible. Like we've seen more people saving money than ever before. That should honestly, that should have been everybody's first indicator that we might be doing something wrong economically in terms of government policy and handing out money. Like when you see that the average savings rate in a good year, like 2019 was only whatever percentage. 
and in 2020 and in 2021, that percentage increased. That should have been all you needed to see to be like, hmm, <laughs> something is brewing in the economy. Where did all this excess money come from? Because these people didn't just automatically become fucking fiscally conservative saints. I can promise you that. What ended up happening, everybody took a bunch of advantage of a bunch of free ass money. And guess what? I'm no different. You're no different. Everybody did it. You know, I, what I want to know is, is out of all the people that got PPP uh, forgive, forgiveness loans and all these, these economic uh, bonuses from the federal government, do, do any of y'all have any intentions of paying any of that money back? Yeah, I didn't think so either. Um, <laughs> so we have to live with the consequences of our own actions is, is the basis of this entire podcast. That inflation is the decline of purchase power. Excuse me. That inflation is the decline of purchasing power of a given currency over time. A quantitative estimate of the rate at which the decline in purchasing power occurs can be reflected in the increase of an average price level of a basket of selected goods and services in an economy over some period of time. The rise in the general level of prices often expressed as a percentage means that a unit of currency effectively buys less than it did in prior periods. A certain amount of inflation should always be ac accounted for, again, because we cannot keep the money supply the same. If we have an increasing population, we need to have an increasing money supply in order to keep stable prices. Because I, I, as a business owner, I cannot tell you the level of stress that I would be under if all we seen was a, a continued rise in the, in the purchasing, power, purchasing power and having to constantly have to lower my prices in order to keep up with the, de, uh, or with the increased value of a dollar. That shit would piss me off. Ideally, we like moderate, very small increases over time. So perhaps one of the most profound things that we all experience is a relatively rapid increase in, in particularly in goods at the grocery store. You know, it's just as bad to, to have that as it is to have prices drop by that much. I know that that's con that doesn't sound very smart or doesn't sound accurate to the consumer, but from an economic perspective, it's those two are equally as bad. Rapidly increasing prices and rapidly falling prices. Here's the other thing because the price you know the the price you pay at the store all depends on the products you buy, right? So in theory, here's what's crazy. You guys want to hear something crazy? The prices for computers have fallen since the day computers were created for the masses. As in the real price for a computer has constantly decreased. And the reason why is because of how much better the technology has gotten. So in relation, because your price has to be fixed 
on certain metrics. So when you say computers, you can't just be like, well, the price for computers has stayed the same or risen in general. And by, by that analysis, prices for computers have never fallen. Yes, they do once you, com once you compare actual metrics within, all right? So a computer back in 1999 had X amount of memory. A computer sold the next year had X amount of memory more. And the price change is consistent with the change in value in the technology itself. So if there was a 20% increase in price, but there was also a 20% increase in memory or computing power or whatever, then technically the price for that computer never actually went up. Nominally it goes up, but in terms of value, it doesn't, it, it never went up. And that's all I got. There's all kinds of people over here on the TikToks. I appreciate y'all for, for, for sticking around for this podcast. And uh, if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or fuck all, anything like that, you can find us on TikTok. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you just have to search uh, the Libertarian Perspective or Libertarian Perspective. And I can't wait for the next episode. And I'm sure the news will not fail us when it comes to our next subject. Have a great day.